We got one mouth, we got two ears, and we got a brain. And if you can properly listen and communicate with people, and and I threw also I got to throw heart in there sometimes too. But uh, if you can listen to people and communicate with people, you can avert a lot of stuff. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Saskatoon Police Constable Derek Chesney. He is the featured guest in episode 13 of YXE Underground. I love how diverse Saskatoon is. If you visit events this summer like Folkfest, you will see how many immigrant communities call our city home. I love that the LGBTQ2S community is celebrated and embraced at events like last week's Pride Parade and through organizations like Out Saskatoon. And I love that truth and reconciliation is a priority in our city so that the relationship with Indigenous peoples can be repaired and grow. One of the things these groups all have in common is a relationship with the Saskatoon Police Service, specifically with the Cultural Relations Unit, and even more specific with a constable named Derek Chesney. I'm in Victoria Park here in Saskatoon where last Friday morning I was able to see Derek in his element. It was National Indigenous Peoples Day and there was a massive gathering here in the park for the Rockier Roots Walk for Reconciliation. Derek shook the hands of Indigenous leaders and officials, hugged plenty of grandmothers, helped the staff at Out Saskatoon set up a two-spirit teepee, and was eager to engage in conversation with anyone who said hello or had a smile on their face. For the past five years, Derek, or Chess, as he likes to be called, has worked with the Cultural Relations Unit. He describes his role with the Saskatoon Police Service as a PR person. I think it's more of an ambassador role because I think there's more importance with the word ambassador. Derek is the perfect guy for this because he's level-headed, an excellent communicator, and could teach a master's course on empathy. As a member of the cultural unit, Derek works closely with different segments of the population. One of his major focuses has been Indigenous groups. The unit understands the importance of truth and reconciliation and repairing the relationship between Indigenous peoples and the Saskatoon Police Service after some pretty dark times in the 1990s, which Derek discusses early on in the interview. Derek also regularly attends sweat lodges. Why is that important, do you ask? Well, it's an important gesture to people in the Indigenous community like Vernon Linklater. Vernon is a public school trustee with the Saskatoon Public School Board and a family violence worker at Saskatoon's Friendship Centre. I met Vernon at last Friday's event and asked him to describe his friendship with Derek. Well, uh, Derek and I, we go back a long time. He's, he's the kind of guy who he would sit with you on your bad times and be with you on, on, your, on your best times. And you remember him both times, uh, and uh, he's that kind of guy. He, he, we come to a ceremony together. He, brings, uh, he goes along with, uh, with the police as well as on his own time. He's brought his family. Uh, I've seen his children grow up in, in ceremony. And it, it's very, um, uh, uh, just like I see ceremony is very important, he sees it too. 
What, why is that important from, from your perspective to have, to have him, not only as a, as a person, but his role with the police service? Why is it important to have him at, at ceremonies? Uh, I think that it's important uh, for one reason is if you see me dressed how I, how I, how I don't look, I'm just in the number. But he sees a spirit in people. And that spirit, sometimes it's weak, tired, or very, very robust. That's, that's the, the kind of guy Derek is. He, he can see the spirit in people. I, I think his, his job with the police is, is very unique, and I think he's the perfect guy for it. But why, why do you think he's, he's so good at, at kind of his role with the police service? Well, I, he, like, again, he's, he qualified for, for the position on his own accord. <laughs> he also knows who he is and where he came from. Uh, he's a spiritual man, and he, he sits with us, you know, and he doesn't sit way up at the top of the line. He can come to the bottom, and that's where we are. So the whole line knows him from bottom to top. Derek's relationship with Saskatoon's Indigenous community, as well as newcomers to Canada, are two themes we focus on in the first part of our conversation. He invited me to the Saskatoon Police Headquarters on 25th Street, and we sat down in one of the conference rooms. After insisting I call him Chess, not Constable or Derek, I started by asking him to describe the role of the Cultural Relations Unit. The unit's been around since the early 90s. Um, when the uh, Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples came out in the, er in the early days, prior to the, uh, all the other reports um, looking at residential schools and the transgenerational effects, uh, it was seen that there was a disconnect between the police service and the Indigenous community, especially Indigenous youth. Um, and I, I believe back in the day um, that the FSIN, uh, Saskatoon uh, Tribal Council and the Saskatoon City Police all sat down together and actually come up with the idea of Aboriginal Liaison Officer. Uh, Craig Nerfa um, was our first Aboriginal Liaison Officer and he's someone that I have a lot of respect for, um, who did a lot of work in the community um, then when Stonechild came out and the inquiry came out, um, the Saskatoon Police Service had a pretty big black mark on, on us and uh, that we needed to do a lot of work to rebuild that connection, to rebuild that trust, to rebuild those broken, broken uh, relationships between the Indigenous community. So that's basically how our unit started. In the years that it's been around, our focus has now still maintained a strong connection with working with the Indigenous community because that's, that's, that's number one. But um, in recent years with immigration, with um, sexual and gender diverse community um, coming into, into, its, into its proper place um, and everybody else in between, um, we now have broadened our horizons to working with everybody from Saskatoon Open Door to the new immig immigrants in the city, LGBT community, like I said, um, um, very, very vast. So we kind of deal with, with kind of the, in policing they say you deal with 5% of the population 95% of the time. And that's when you're on the street. Luckily I get to deal with the other 95 all the time. The good people, not, 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 not that, not that, that uh, the people that are continually dealing with the police are bad, but just the people that are out there that support the police, that are coming from maybe from countries that maybe police can be a little bit corrupt or stuff like that. We're there to build that bridge and build that connection, hopefully recruit some people from different countries or from different communities. Um, so we're kind, of, we're kind of the PR people with the service. There, there's so many questions I, I have for you. Um, but the, you mentioned with the Indigenous population, and I noticed right when I walked into um, into the police centre here, I, I saw the, the big yellow flag that, that said reconciliation. Um, 
And so with, with your role with, with the, with the unit then, um, Chess, how, how do you, how do you go about interacting with, with the indigenous population here in the city? Like what, what does that look like? Okay. Well, you know what, um, from an individual standpoint, um, I remember years ago, I, I, uh, when I'd moved off the ranch in, uh, early 2000s, come up and did my sociology and Aboriginal justice degree. Um, in one of my classes, Elder Walter Linklater came in as a guest to talk to us. And that was the very first time I'd met Elder. And uh, he invited us out to come out and they were going to rebuild the sweat lodge that weekend and come out and sweat. So I'm like, hey, I think this is a pretty good idea. So I went out and built, built the lodge and, and went to my first sweat lodge and then kind of kept going because it was making me feel better. So then years later, as I was kind of working on my, my uh, criminology and Aboriginal justice degree, Elder Walter popped up again in the video Two Worlds Colliding, which I'm sure you've seen in Tasha Hubbard. And he mentioned in there, he said that if the police want to have a good connection with the Indigenous community, you have to come to our ceremonies. So then when I came into work in the cultural unit many years later, got to meet Walter in person again, and uh, I said, hey, I, I, w- I want to come and I want to come and do more. And he said, have you done any fasting? And I said, well, no, I, I, I've heard about it a little bit. He goes, well, well, I'll start preparing you and you can do your four days of, of fasting. And uh, so I did four consecutive years um, in fa- of, of fasting. Traditionally, from what I was always taught, that young men would do their fasting. They would do their first fast about 12, 13 years old. Then they would do one in their 20s one in their 30s, one in their 40s, and then kind of as needed the rest of their life if they were ever asking for something or if they needed guidance or stuff like that. So kind of what it entails is you go out to the bush for four days dry fasting, so no food, no water, um, and usually two or three sweat lodges in between there, some pipe ceremonies, and just kind of lots of time to reflect and, and let go of stuff. So so I was able to do that, um, and that has allowed me to be kind of accepted by a lot of the indigenous people within the city here the fact that i made that commitment to go out and do that um i still try and get out and, and sweat on a regular basis i wish that we'd get some rains because there's been fire bans on this year and last year so um there's not as many lodges going on as as, as normally there would be but kind of how i found personally to build a relationship with the community is just be yourself and get to know people and, and to see people for who they are and to realize that um we may have, and this is this goes right across the board. That person may look different than you, or have different skin color than you, but but we're really really more the same than different. So, so after you 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 did all of all of that, in in what ways, Chess, do you see like in tangible ways? Do you see like your efforts kind of paying off with with the relationship building? You know, it's it's same as we just I just got a couple new guys in our unit right now, and and I always. Ever since I started policing, I'd always try and learn as many little words in different languages. So if I was dealing with someone from Pakistan, um, and I knew they were a Muslim, um, I could throw out a salam alaikum when I first met them and say shukriya or uh, see you later after I'm done. Just to try and, try and learn, it doesn't have to be a lot, but making an effort to learn about somebody else's culture and language and religion goes such a long ways. 
and I, I know when I go go back back to my hometown and and uh, there's some South Asian girls working in the Tim Hortons drive-through or the McDonald's drive-through, and I I throw out a shukriya, uh, Milangay, thank you. you. I get the biggest smile because you're not expecting to get that in in in, some, in a lot of those communities because people don't make the effort, and and there's a lot of ignorance, um, there's a lot of fear. People kind of go off a lot of stuff that they see maybe on TV and stuff like that, but actually don't go out and actually get a chance to meet people and find out who they are. It's so funny how language can just, and just the little things can be such a great first step, can it? Totally. Unbelievable. Yeah, you know what, and it's just, it's, it, it's, uh, it, I, it's nothing, it's not a big, it's not a big thing, but to learn how to say thank you in someone else's language is amazing. And it just, you can see a lot of times when I would go to a call back in the day and would be dealing with somebody from India, um, and I could say something to them in Hindi or Urdu or Punjabi, and you just see them kind of a smile breaks and they kind of relax. So, when, when you were taking your your degree and, and taking your Indigenous uh, history classes and and classes like that, did did you did something strike you right away where it was like, I, I I want to make a difference or I want to get involved in this to do something like? Do you remember? Was it just a culmination of things or was there was there a moment where it's like, oh, I've, I want to do something? That's you know, a heavy question. This, you know, and, and I, I got an answer for you too. Um, I never thought I would actually leave the farm. Um, I'm a third generation cattle rancher from southeastern Saskatchewan. Uh, my dad's still out on the farm. We still got 50, 60 cows and we take some other cows on grass in the summer. So that's always been there. And I played a bit of junior hockey in the SJHL in Saskatchewan over the years. And then I was just heading back to the ranch. And mad cow disease hit in the early 2000s. And it kind of crippled everything. And I was kind of, I was out there and I'm like, geez, I'm like, what's going on here? This is, I got to, I think I can go do something else. So I had, I had a buddy that I just got, got, uh, got on with the Mounties. And I'm like, oh shit, if he can get on with the Mounties, so can I. But years, but prior to that, way, way, way back, I had an uncle who was an RCMP officer. And uh, he was like one of the best guys ever. And I said, I, I always wanted to be like him. And he just, he was so good with people. Um, so when I, st- when I came to university, I had it in the back of my head that I wanted to be a police officer. Um, and I was, so that's kind of, I kind of, everything I did from my volunteer work, from my, you name it at university, I audited classes, um, took lots of religious studies classes, sociology classes, anthropology classes. I wanted to study people and humanity and culture and religion. And cause I knew that was kind of the key to, to learning how to, um, work with people better and work with people in a good way. So, so basically I don't think there was a, a pivotal moment that, uh, that made me decide, but actually what, what, there, there was one, uh, and I mentioned him already, Craig Nerfa came to speak to my first year sociology class. Brian Puck was teaching it and, uh, Craig came as a guest. And after that, I was like, boom, yeah, that's, that's right. What I want to do. What, what did he, what did he say? Do you know what? I, I don't know what he said, but he, he was the kind of officer that I wanted to be. And I, I'm not your going out there, kicking butt and taking names and throwing people in jail. If I can work with somebody for a little bit and, and, and build a relationship and hopefully get that person on the right path, um, for, unfortunately we do have to charge people sometimes and stuff like that happens. But, but, uh, he was a very socially minded, community minded police officer. And that's, that's the kind of cop I wanted to be and, and am to this day. Your, so. your communication skills must be so good, and, and, but so important for your job too. Yeah. There, you know, communication is number one. I, I was a defensive tactics instructor for, for a number of years. And uh, when I would go talk to kids um, in schools and stuff like that, I, they'd always want to look at all the we- weapons, my tools on my belt. And, but I would say, okay, don't worry about none of that. 
because I we have two we have three of our most strongest weapons and you guys all have them too. We got one mouth, we got two ears and we got a brain. And if you can properly listen and communicate with people and and I threw also I got to throw heart in there sometimes too. But uh if you can listen to people and communicate with people you can avert a lot of stuff. So just just kind of getting down to people's levels. Um, not putting yourself on a pedestal, realizing that we all have stuff to deal with and we all have uh, things to work through and having life experience helps a lot as well. So. I, I, I want to get to your life experience okay. in, in a bit too, but the, the last time I saw you was at a um, Canadian citizenship ceremony. We were sitting at the yeah. same table yeah. at, at Prairie Land Park and and it, it fascinated me how you were able to um, work the like work the room, but do so like just by being yourself you you knew lots of people and you were able to introduce yourself and stuff like that because like you said this city now is so multicultural there are people from from everywhere so i wonder if you could break down break down a little bit chess in terms of um maybe some of the some of the groups that you work with that are from like outside of canada and then how like how you again you go about forging those positive relationships well probably one of the main groups that i work with is is the indian community uh, hindu sikh muslim community um i got had a little bit of a a, a leg up doing that because as an opportunity in 2006 when i was in my third university um had the chance to go to india for the summer so uh, 20 students went, two professors, um, Professor Robert Schwab and Professor Jim Mullins took us, and uh, we headed off to India for, for six weeks. Uh, it was six credits of, uh, of you know, summer class, so three political studies, three religious studies. And we looked at the whole political and religious structure of India and how it kind of all intertwines together. Um, so spending that amount of time in a totally foreign place um, with so many different people and so many different customs and so many different languages and so much different food and everything was just vast, so much vastly different for this big farm boy heading over there. It was a real eye-opener. I was just going to say that's so yeah. different. From- but, but you know, what? The, the big thing that I seen over there was that people are people. And people are, can be jerks, people can be wonderful, all in the same, the same breath. What was probably one of the, the, the big things that I seen was we were up in the Punjab. We spent a week in Amritsar and in the Punjab in the home of the Sikh people. And uh, once I got to know the Sikh people, I was like, okay, these are just Saskatchewan farm boys. That's like, there's, there's no difference that Punjab is the breadbasket of India. So pretty much any Sikh person you talk to is going to have somebody on the farm, grandpa, uncle, aunt. they're, they're very, a very rural based people, um, served in both world wars fighting on the allied side. There was whole Sikh regiments fighting right alongside our Saskatchewan farm boys and stuff like that. So, so really seeing, and that's when I studied comparative religions in university, you really, Start. I start drawing those lines between the similarities of stuff. And if you peel away all the things that you per- perceive as different, there's a lot of, we have a lot of similarities. So Is that hard for a lot of people, though, to peel back those differences? Because I, I could see, like, I've, I've traveled to, to Europe a fair bit and lived yeah. there, but I've never, I've never been to a place like India. And I, and I feel if I went there, um, the, 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 the amount of people and maybe like the, the climate, the temperature and stuff that would, that would might get in the way of me seeing all that things. Like when you went over there, would, was that hard for you or was it? Do you know what? I think it just adds to the experience. Yeah. Like if, if you've ever seen Slumdog Millionaire, yeah. the movie and, and my wife and I watched it because my wife had been to India at a different time than me years ago, but the sights, the smells, the sounds, I could smell, everything came back to me watching that movie because it's so vastly different than being here. But then you meet the people and people are people. 
And there's people that are trying to rip you off. There's people that are trying to help you. There's people that are trying to feed you and make you buy something. And it was interesting. Like we, we had hit a lot of the holy places when I was in India. And at that time, there was a lot of, a lot of the Shiva pilgrims were doing their big pilgrimage. So basically what would happen is um, kind of a youth group of young guys from 12, 13, 14 years old would go off on these big bike trips and they would venture off to these holy places or to the Ganges and get water and then bring it back to their community. And, uh, they all wore orange. So I just went and bought a whole bunch of orange t-shirts. And when those guys seen me, I'd be yelling at them and cheering. So then they'd all see me and come over this big white guy and stuff like that. So then I got tons of pictures with those guys and you know what you just, you just blend in, you, you become part of the, you become part of things. And I've always been very adaptable. At, at where I've been and, and, uh, and not, not to assimilate, not to lose who you are, but basically to kind of blend in and become a part of the fabric. It, does the ability for you to adapt and sort of blend in, does that help your job now? Totally. Like, you know, I, uh, I, I walked the beat for a lot of years and, and we can chat about that in a bit. I've been working, I've been an officer for 11 and a half years coming up on 12 years. So, um, spent a couple years in patrol, um, spent four years walking the beat. Now I spent five years in cultural. So now next in January, I'm coming out of cultural and I'll head back to walking the beat. Um, being out on the street and working with people, especially in kind of our, our core neighborhoods, um, people can see if you're scared People can see if you're not trustworthy. People can see street people are very intuitive and you have to, you have to give respect in order to get it. Just because I roll in with a uniform and a badge and a gun doesn't allot me nothing actually. You got to earn that respect with people and you just, you just be, be normal. You treat people as, as you'd want to be treated. So when you work with the Indian population here in Saskatoon, um, when you, do they... Like how, how do they react to initially? And then when, when you're able to share some of your experiences, yep. it, does that change? Well, it, it was, it was interesting. Uh, a few years ago, um, I had done my ancestry DNA and actually it came back that I was a little bit South Asian on there. I'm not sure where it came from, but uh, so then when I started telling my Indian friends that they were like, well, you, we knew you were one of us. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's just building relationship. Like, like, uh, I would say out of everybody, we have a, I have a very strong relationship with the Amadi community in Saskatoon. Um, have some very good friends from the Amadi community. So, uh, going to that mosque is, is like very welcoming, very, I know lots of people and lots of people know me and tomorrow will be Eid actually, which will be, will be the end of Ramadan. And, uh, I was telling some of the new guys, the new guys said, be prepared to get hugged guys, because, uh, after, after, after the prayers are done, everybody, everybody embraces and, and everybody's happy that fasting is over and they're looking forward to a new thing. So, so it's been, uh, it's been very, yeah, it's been cool. So, so when you, when you go to these different groups then, are, uh, when you go there, do you, are you there to just to offer support and kind of be an, an ambassador for the police service? Or is it sometimes, is it more, I guess, like official business or I guess depends? Do you know, we try in a culture unit, we try and stay away from, and not that we ever avoid it, but we try and stay away from more traditional police work. Um, I know in New York years ago, they had cultural community officers go in, but they were kind of spying on people and kind of charging people and stuff like that. And to build relationship, you can't do both. So my thing is, is to go in, build a relationship with the community. 
if somebody from that community has information or something's going on, they can tell me and I can pass them off to somebody else within the service. Like we had an incident um, a few years ago in, in one of the communities in Saskatoon where there had been a, uh, had, had been a sexual assault. And the investigator was kind of struggling with everybody and stuff like that. He gave me a call and within an hour, I had the president from that community. I had the family in, I had everybody in all on the same page just because we had that relationship. And it, that, that's kind of how that, that, that to me shows that what we're doing, it's kind of under the radar, but that to me shows that you, you build that strong relationship. And then if there's trouble, those people trust you that we can do our jobs properly. So. You are listening to episode 13 of YXE Underground. I'm your host, Eric Anderson, and this episode's guest is Saskatoon Police Constable Derek Chesney. If you like what you're hearing, why not subscribe to the podcast? You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also stream episodes on the website, yxeunderground.com, as well as on Spotify, which I hear is quite popular with the kids these days. YXE Underground is also on social media. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on all three platforms, you will see some fantastic photos taken by Janelle Wallace of Derek Chesney at Victoria Park on National Indigenous Peoples Day. In this last part of our conversation, Derek talks about his role within Saskatoon's LGBTQ2S community and why this community is so important to him. But there comes a point in our conversation where I just come out and ask how he came to be this kind and caring individual. One person who has known this about Derek for a long, long time is Jill Rude. Jill is a colleague and friend of mine at Sherbrooke Community Centre, and she grew up with Derek in Melville. When I told her I was interviewing him for the podcast, she shared a story about him that just captures his warm spirit. Jill was kind enough to let me record her childhood memory. We were probably about 10 or 11 years old, and a group of us um, all went trick-or-treating together after school. Did did the whole town, stopped for a break at one of our friend's houses. We were kind of done for the night, so we were all at her house. Her parents weren't home, so there were no treats at their house to give out. We were having a break there, and of course the, the doorbell rang, and we all just sat there because we weren't going to answer the door because there was no candy to give out. When Derek just got up with his bag of treats, went to the door, opened the door in his jovial way, addressed all the kids and proceeded to give candy out of his bag to all these kids at the door while all of us sat there in shock about his generosity. Um, and it just sort of, we quite often talk about this story when we get together is just the kind of kind, generous, down to earth person that Derek is that he, he's been like that since he was a child. He was 11 years old and he gave up his candy. He did. I know. It was not something I would have ever done, for sure, or any of us at that house would have done. But it's just kind of the person that he was and is. And yeah, it's just a great guy. Oh, I love that story. He's such a nice guy. So if you're looking for candy on Halloween night, go visit Derek Chesney. All right, back to the interview. We pick it up with Derek explaining why working with Saskatoon's LGBTQ2S community means so much to him. You know what, as far as working with the sexual and gender diverse community in Saskatoon, there's ostr- they're being ostracized for no reason. And whether it's through ignorance or religious beliefs or stuff like that, 
um, because somebody identifies as different gender than, than the norm or, uh, that people would say. Um, and when you look at the strength and the, the, the connection and the, the uh, uh, awesomeness that is within the LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community, um, that's something that needs to be worked with at the police service. There's, you see probably in the media that there's been a lot of stuff with pride and the police services and stuff like that. Um, and I have a lot of good friends in that community as well. And, and very good friends, people that I, uh, have met through this job, but then now I kind of, I'm going to meet them for a meeting, but we end up talking about stuff that's really not work related most of the time, but it's, it's that I've built a relationship and if they ever have trouble, they call me and the same thing I can pass them off to, to wherever they be. As far as to his recruiting, um, Chief Wayhill and Chief Cooper as well now in, in the present always said our police service should reflect the community. So you have, if you have so many people from a certain group within Saskatoon or cultural group or sexual and gender diverse community, they should be represented on your police service just to give a balance. And uh, we fall short a little bit in something. So that's some of the stuff we always do. So I'm always actively recruiting. Uh, uh, we have, we have uh, numerous openly gay females on our service. Unfortunately, no males that we know of. Um, so I've been trying to recruit the last couple of years with that and, and just building that connection, knowing that the police are there to support. Um, because when you look at hate crimes, um, the, LGBT community is has a fairly high target rate of stuff and a lot of stuff gets not reported because the trust is not there so that, that's just that they are a vulnerable community within Saskatoon in our community and then it's it's through it's through the communication and it's it's through you forging those relationships that that's how the trust is built I take it totally totally Eric you know when and and, and people always say how do you how do you build legitimacy and I, I always, I, I do actually do a presentation to officers down at the police college to say, okay, how do we build police legitimacy? Well, well then, okay, let's scale that back. How do you build legitimacy as a person? Well, you know what, be respectful, um, do what you say you're going to do, be a stand-up person. If, if, if you are honorable about something, make sure to honor that. So when, when we, when as a service, if you had a whole bunch of officers that were following those respect rules, we wouldn't run it maybe in, into problems or across Canada or the states with, with officers. But we still have to kind of work through some of those, those ignorances or those, those biases that people have against certain members in our, in our community. So. Just in speaking with you, like you, you have such a good perspective on things and such a, a good like level head to you. And did you, like you, you must have had a, like some pretty good role models growing up, like a family and stuff yeah. like that? Do you know what? I grew up around a lot of cowboys and guys that would spend a lot of time out riding out on the horse. Unfortunately, too, spend a lot of time around the beer table in, in bars. I got to listen to an old, a lot of old guys BS in the, old, in the bars back in the day. And they tell stories of humanity and of people. And uh, my old uncle, Bob Chesney, um, who's been passed on now for quite a few years, um... Probably one of the mo- most smartest, well-talked guys that I uh, that I had ever been around, uh, and even my father and my grandfather back in the day, um, just to see how they talked to people, how they treated people, how the respect that they had, and I kind of always wanted to emulate that and and go out in the community. And then I realized, okay, I thought everybody was like that. And then you kind of come out and you realize, no, this is kind of an oddity. Um, not everybody communicates with people like I do. Not everybody empathizes with the people the way I do. Not everybody 
reciprocates respect back and forth the way I was able to as an officer. I, I just think you, I'm so glad you mentioned the word empathy. Um, in my role at Sherbrooke, uh, sometimes I get to teach the, the first year um, students that are training to be care staff. And so I do the communication course with them. And a big part of it is empathy, placing yourself in the shoes yep. of, of a resident who is in a wheelchair or maybe has mobility issues or cognitive issues and, and seeing the world from their perspective. Yep. Do, you, do you think that the world could use more empathy? You know what I, I do, and I, but I but unfortunately, I think a lot of times people turn away from empathy because it's it's hard, and we sometimes callous over those hurts that we have, because if we're too empathetic, maybe we're maybe we're going to feel some of our own hurts that we've kind of not that we've put in that back shelf or not wanted to deal with, and I see that with officers sometimes as well that you see people sometimes lash out. Um, at certain things, and it's like, oh boy, that stir struck a nerve. Um, but you know what? I, I I think so. Yeah, just well, you know that golden rule of doing to others as, as uh, you want them to do to you is is it holds true. It's been around for a long time, and and uh, just treating people with respect, um, being able to, and, and you look at there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathizing with someone is kind of looking down on someone that they're in a bad spot, but empathizing with someone is kind of kneeling down and, 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 and kind of getting to that person's level. And like you said, walking a mile in their shoes and, and realizing that uh, everybody's got a bit of a, a bit of a, a we all got some chains to carry and we got a bit of a hard road to hoe. So it's uh, kind of when you start looking at that and, and I was chatting with a, with a guy the other day at, at the Friendship Inn. We go in there once a month as officers and serve lunch at the Friendship Inn. And uh, try, we, we try and take our brand new recruits there and get them there so they're used to going in there and used to the people seeing them and stuff like that. And then it helps kind of the gang activity and stuff like that at the end as well. But I got talking to a guy the other day that was kind of down on his luck and, and uh, kind, of, kind of struggling mentally and stuff like that. So I had a chat with him and I said, hey, I said, do you think it's all roses for us? I said, I had a good friend take his life a couple of year and a half ago. I struggled with that. I said, I had to take a little bit of time off work a little while ago because things kind of got heavy with things. So I said, hey, we all got stuff to carry. And I said, the trick is just keep, keep going. So I said, you know, we got a beautiful river. And to go walk that riverbank in the summertime and just sit on a bench and, and enjoy the scenery is, is a pretty cool thing to do. So, so he, uh, with a smile on his face as we were heading back downtown, he was heading down to the river to go for a walk and, and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool to see, to see that, that you can have a positive impact. And even wearing that uniform, people think that we are somehow turning our brain and our heart off when, when we put that uniform on. But, but on the contrary, you need to lead with that in my books. So... You, um, I, I think you definitely led with your heart when you were walking a beat because my introduction to you was when you wrote the, the fantastic blog that you did, um, about someone close to you that, that passed away who was living on the streets here in yeah. Saskatoon. Um, so you, you walk the beat and then you come to this cultural unit, but your time is coming to an end and then you're going to go back no. to what, why, why do you want to go back? Do you know what? Well, I'll be honest with you. When, uh, after Alvin died, I kind of lost a little bit of my spark out there. Um, I, I knew I needed a bit of a change and, uh, you know what though, there's, I, I have no aspirations of going to major crimes or becoming an investigator, or even promoting for that matter. Um, so I, I, I think when you kind of get into a certain thing that you know what you're good at and know what you like, uh, you keep doing it. I know they always say if you, if your work, your work is, your job is what you do to make money and your work is what you do that, that to fulfill your soul. If you can have your job and your work as the same thing, 
you got a lot of riches doing that. So, and that, to me, to me, being a foot patrol officer, working with the people in our in our downtown core, um, mixing with the bars and the, the different neighborhoods and stuff like that, and just getting getting a wide assortment of people that you meet. That's what I like the best. So, what uh, what what does your wife think about you going back to this beat as opposed to the the culture unit? And, and I say that yeah. because um, if 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 I were if I were in her shoes, there would be I. I might worry a little bit. And yeah. th- does she worry at all? I don't think so. Um, I, initially, she did, and she'd get mad because I used to walk a little bit by myself over the years when my partner was off and stuff like that. But I know now things have changed downtown with the math scene and stuff like that in the last couple of years. So, so uh, and having a partner makes things go by a little, a little bit easier during the day. There's lots to talk about. So, but I really don't think she has has any any major issues um, with me heading back. Uh, no, we got to do some juggling with with the old calendar because she's a shift worker as well. So, but uh, but yeah, that's just the reality of it. So, um, the, I, I I sure appreciate your time today, and, and I'm just thinking um, at the start of the interview, you you talked about um, when you went to your your first few sweats, yeah. and you talked about some of the things that that maybe that you were going through at the time and and stuff like that. Do you think looking back on it now, did that? Did that kind of set you on the path of, of where you are now? I think so. I think, Eric, I think everything we do sets us on a path for something. And, and even if we think, think something that we're doing in the present is trivial, it may be setting us up for something that we're going to do a little bit later on. So when I kind of look at kind of how life maps out, things I did 10 years ago, is like, oh, shit, that was just preparing me to do this right now. So you really kind of have to look at life. And I think some people look at life as a they look at it in, in little blocks that don't see anything related where when you can see that, that stream running through everything, that everything is connected and everything is related and something that we're doing in 20 years from now is going to have an impact on the way we do business right now. So, cause I, I just think like if, if this, if, if your life was one of those timelines, I, I could see, you know, the, the being a young kid growing up around cowboys, hearing those stories. And then 2006, you're in India yeah. and you're speaking with, with farmers in India, learning all those things, and now you're con- like it all just connects for you. Totally does, totally does. And, and I'm now starting to look at uh, th- over that horizon again. My dad's getting older, and uh, starting to look at, hey, maybe it's time to head back to the ranch and get myself a horse and 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 get going again. So that that'll be coming probably in not not in the near future, but in the next, it's it's in the horizon. So. Do, you, do you miss ranch life? Do you know what I, I do? I don't miss not making any money out there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a big thing. That that's you know what ranching is one of the best livelihoods a person could have if you could actually make make money at it um but uh there's nothing better than than hopping on a horse in the morning and moving some cows around or going to fix fence in the afternoon or this time of year i'd be kind of getting everything ready to start haying and stuff like that so um and then everything had its sequence you kind of took it easy in the winter time feeding cows and and, and doing things I, I used to run a bunch of sheep as well so so i'd lamb in uh, i'd lamb in january february and then start calving in march and and uh, yeah just, every, everything has a season on the farm and then when you grow up on the farm you learn you learn about a lot of things. You learn about seasons and changes, and you have to adapt to the changes. You also learn about death, because you see death from a very young age. You see your, your animals die and, and new ones born and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that, that, whole, that whole cycle of, of life is very, uh, very interesting when, when, when you grow up with that. So, it's, it's been really interesting speaking with you, and I think you are such a fascinating man. And thank you for all that you do, and, uh, and best of luck till the end of January and then with the new beat. Right so, yeah, thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you asking me to be on your show.
My thanks to Derek Chesney for taking the time to speak with me and for all the work he and his unit does here in Saskatoon. If you want to see Derek in action, please visit the website or find YXE Underground on social media to find photos from National Indigenous Peoples Day. This has been episode 13 and the final episode of season one of YXE Underground. I am your host, Eric Anderson. It is really crazy how fast a season can go by. I can remember doing the first episode and thinking, is anyone going to listen to this? Am I going to be able to put this all together? And now we've gone through a first season. So thank you so much uh, to everyone who's listened. This has been so much fun to do. I just want to give out a few quick thank yous, uh, not only for this episode, but for the entire season. Uh, to David Hutton, Kareen Larson, uh, Natasha Lipney, and the entire CBC Saskatchewan and Saskatoon crew for their support of this podcast. Uh, it's been really great to have the CBC engine behind this first season. And uh, I'm not sure what will happen in terms of season two, but I sure do appreciate all their support that they've shown um, in this first season in terms of getting the word out, allowing me to write stories for the website. It's been a lot of fun. So to David, Kareen, Natasha, and, and everyone at CBC, thank you very much. To Janelle Wallace, who is an incredible photographer and an even better person. Uh, Janelle is an absolute delight to work with, and I'm so excited to, uh, to continue working with her in season two. To my cousin Andrew Dixon for all the amazing music, original music that you hear. Andrew lives in Los Angeles, but uh, is very well known here in the Saskatoon music scene, and he's He's just making some really great inroads in the uh, music scene down in L.A. right now. So, Andrew, I'm very proud of you, and I'm, I'm so honored that you make music for the podcast. So, thank you. Uh, to the Danger Dynamite crew, they're the ones who uh, designed the website and we've used their studio space for some photo shoots and they're just awesome to work with and every time I have a, uh, a slight emotional breakdown about why the website isn't working, they're very calm and they always answer my questions. Uh, so thank you to Frank and the entire Danger Dynamite crew and uh, thank you to my amazing wife Jennifer and our amazing dog Fred for uh, just being the best. Uh, a quick thank you to all the guests who have appeared on the podcast. I think it takes guts. Uh, to share your stories in, in such a public setting. And everyone's been an absolute delight to, to work with. And uh, so so thank you for taking the time to appear on the podcast, to speak with me, to um, answer lots of emails and texts and, and agreeing to have photo shoots done. I ask a lot of guests and, um, and they always... For the, for the most part, are, are pretty easygoing and, and say yes. So uh, to all the guests who have appeared on the podcast, thank you. And uh, especially thank you to all the listeners out there. Um, it's, when I first started this, I didn't think that there would be any listeners out there. Um, and there are proven to be thousands and thousands of listeners out there. So uh, I've, I've been really flattered and, and honored and and. I love hearing feedback, so leave a review. Let me know how you like the podcast. What would you like to hear in season two? Who should we get for guests? Um, thank you so much for listening and subscribing. And please tell all your friends about it because uh, the wider this community is, uh, the more people are going to hear these amazing stories. There are some awesome things planned for season two. I'm going to spend the entire summer gathering interviews. And if you have any suggestions in terms of who you think is flying under the radar here in Saskatoon but is uh, doing some awesome things for our community and is to be celebrated please send me an email eric anderson yxe at gmail.com is the uh is the email address and you can also uh find us on facebook twitter and instagram uh, let me know who you think should be on the podcast because i would love to get them on
Oh, and I would like to acknowledge that this interview and my voice were recorded on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. The YXE Underground Podcast is a production of the Salt Hammer Production Company. My name is Eric Anderson. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you in September, Saskatoon.